0: Over the past few months, we have walked through and studied in quite a a lot of detail um, the 29 verses that made up chapter 1. We began with Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2, and then journeyed through the remaining 27 verses, trying to dig out all the gold and all that goodness that was contained in chapter 1. Obviously, Paul's words, but under the inspiration, as we understand, of the Holy Spirit, Words given by God, yes? And uh, we, don't, you know, we don't know if Paul actually wrote the words, as in we don't know if it was him putting the pen to the parchment. But we know that the letter did come from him. And you know, it was possibly dictated to either Timothy or another close brother and friend in the ministry of the gospel, possibly Epaphras, we just don't know. But someone wrote the words and had them sent off to the saints in Colossa. Um, Let's go to the next. Church, always keep in mind the main theme of this short letter. As we walk together through all of its words and its phrases, its main theme is that, the Christ of the church. Say that with me. The Christ of the church. That's the main theme of Paul's letter. And this short letter to the believers in Ephesus focuses on the body On the ecclesia, remember we talked about that word, the called out ones, the assembly. Sorry, I misread that. Ephesians, sorry, let's go back, rewind. Right? Ephesians focuses on the body, the ecclesia, okay? It focuses on the body, whereas Colossians, in in the letter to the Colossians, Paul focuses on its head, on Jesus Christ, okay? Christ of the church, that makes sense now. The source of life and sustenance for the body. Uh, the assembly, the congregation of believers, those who you had heard, who you had received, who you had believed the good news of the gospel, which was, of course, we know, the power of God on the salvation through the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Colossians is a letter that is concer- concerned with the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we all know what that big word means. You can tell me after. <laughs> the preeminence of Jesus. Colossians is a book that makes clear. The truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is first and foremost in absolutely everything. Absolutely everything, Church. And every believer's life should be a reflection of this truth in faith and in practice. In our journey through chapter one, we heard many times concerning this preeminence. Colossians one with began with Paul commending the church. Hear that, Rain. glad I'm inside. Colossians 1 began with Paul commending the church for their faith in Christ and for their love for all the saints. The word had come to the people in Colossa. Many had believed and received the gift of grace and the hope of eternal life. And now Paul says that they were bearing much fruit by their words and their labors. And isn't that the prayer of every church, to bear much fruit? In verses 9 to 18, Paul then made it plain that Jesus is first and foremost in everything, that by him and through him all things had been created and were continuing to be upheld by the word of his power and that he was and is the supreme and superior sustainer. That part, that was like part five, it feels like about five years ago now. Paul wrote these wonderful words in verse 17 of chapter one, and he is before all things or above all things. And in him, that is in Christ, all things consist or, put another way, all things hold together, okay? So we learned of this preeminence of Jesus Christ followed by the glorious truth that reconciliation is found in Jesus Christ, okay? We looked at this reconciliation. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of the divine nature was dwelling and abiding. And by this God-man, by Jesus, all things were being reconciled. It's not good news? Yeah. Even those who were alienated by sin and rebellion and wicked works now had the opportunity to be reconciled to God because of the death of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes, in the very body of his flesh. And now those who were before alienated, like us, were now to be presented, church, do you remember? Holy, Hallelujah. blameless, in his sight. And as we journeyed into the last portion of chapter one, Paul changed course slightly and spoke to the believers of being in the sacrificial service of Christ. And in this last portion, we learned and studied some wonderful verses concerning the ministry and the calling of the apostle Paul and where he received this role and this responsibility. Do you remember we talked about the stewardship of God, the stewardship, the oversight? God as like the heavenly office manager, Okay. And Paul's calling was to, as he wrote, these are his words, fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden. And church, what was this mystery? Let's go to the next one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope, the confidence, the assurance of that future glory. Okay? Paul then gave us his motto for ministry. Do you remember from last, I think it was last week? Witness, warning, warning and wisdom, okay, through preaching and teaching, through the preaching of the gospel and teaching and instruction of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul left us in no doubt, he left the church in no doubt, that he was called to this. He was passionate concerning this and that he was laboring. The word that he used, striving, agonizing, do you remember we talked about wrestling? Okay, this word has like a a context of the Greek games, okay, where you're fighting, competing with other people. Paul was agonizing in this calling according to the mighty working of God who worked in him mightily. That's what he finished chapter one with. God was giving Paul the energy that he needed to see this work through. Do you remember who said, if God calls you, he will give you the strength to see it through. Okay, maybe you don't feel like you're strong enough. Maybe you don't feel like you have enough to do it, but God will give you that strength just as he gave it to Paul. You know, Paul was certainly called to this by God's grace and God was providing all the sustenance, all the nutrients, all the help, all the strength that Paul needed to fulfill the word of God, the mystery that is in Jesus—that is Jesus Christ abiding and dwelling in every believer and saint. And this is every believer's hope of glory. Okay, now I've entitled tonight's study, Conflict, Comfort, and Comprehension. Say it with me. Conflict, Comfort, and Comprehension and comprehension. Look, anything with comfort in the title is going to be good, isn't it? (laughs) And tonight, I want to look in detail at the first three verses of chapter two, okay? Let's read them together. Let's actually go back a little bit into chapter one. Look, I know, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but please remember that Paul did not write this letter with chapter divisions and verses. It didn't exist. It was just like me or you writing a letter, Okay, it was a modern invention, so there'd be no break in the text when the Colossians were reading this aloud uh, at their gathering. Okay, so let's go back and let's read um, just a little bit in the chapter 1. This is verse 27 through to chapter 2, verse 5. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles or the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wonderful, isn't it, church? Tonight, as I said, we're focusing on verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. And Paul has something that he wants the believers to know. Those in Colossae, those in Laodicea and anyone else who would read this letter and those who have never met him face to face. You know, 11 miles down the road from Colossae was the city of Laodicea. And the truth is that Paul was actually writing this letter to be read both in Colossae and in Laodicea. Both congregations needed to hear these words of instruction, of correction, of encouragement, and Paul was in conflict for both of them. Some other translations have Paul's first phrase like this. Oh, no in the next one. Hold on, what's happening? That's it, that's it. I'm actually pretending to do this because it's not working, I lost the thing out of it. So I don't want to keep saying, Cameron, can you go to the next slide? But obviously if he doesn't do his job right, I'm going to have to tell him just to go to the next one. (laughs) Dave, kick him off. Some other translation have Paul's phrase like this. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and I'm going through for you. I want you to know that I am trying very hard to help you. Look, let's not make any mistake about it. Paul cared deeply for all of these saints. He cared for all of these believers. He loved them and he wanted the best for them. But he also wanted them to know and fully understand the conflict and agony that he was facing on their behalf. Church, this was an inward battle. Paul was having an internal conflict. This was a contention. It was a fight. This was what we would call anxiety and mental strain. You see, the context here is the same as that of last week. Do you remember that wrestling, the Greek games, combat, contest? struggle and strain. It's Paul's toil and labor for victory. And you know, Paul was suffering all of this on behalf of and for the sake of the believers there in Colossae. But why? Why was Paul facing this conflict? Why was he putting himself through this? Why was he facing this, context? this contest sorry, in his heart and in his mind? Why so much agony? Why so much struggle? Well, I can tell you primarily because of all that was going on both in the church at Colossae and Laodicea. Look, we've already talked a few months ago about the context of this whole letter concerning the issues at this time in this region, the pagan philosophies that were coming into the church, the Gnosticism, the false teaching that was creeping into these fellowships. Paul was concerned with the dangers of heresy, simply church, He was concerned with what was creeping into the church. Paul was concerned with the believers being led astray by some strange and superstitious doctrine, being led away from faith in Christ alone, and in the belief that Christ is sufficient for everything, for salvation and for life. Paul did not want anyone to be led away by mysticism, by paganism, by superstition, and away from the true covering of the church and from the, two, from the true teaching of the church. You know, this was a serious situation, and Paul, honestly, he was doing all he could to prevent what was happening. He was in great conflict and contest for all the believers who were under his care. Church, you see this struggle and strain within him. It was very real, and he wanted to make sure that every believer knew what he was facing, why, So that they could support him and so that they could pray for him. Church, pray for those who are over you. Pray for them. Pray for those who are called to protect you. Pray for them that God would give them wisdom, courage, and boldness. Please pray, church, because we could really use them. Honestly, we could. And pray for every church in the land, pray for every leader, every elder. And you know what? We'll do our bit. We will do all we can to prevent false teaching and false doctrine creeping in through our doors. You do your bit and we'll do ours. Is that a deal? (laughs) But not only was Paul passionate about preventing them from and protecting them against false teaching, his heart as a pastor, as an overseer, as a leader, went much further than that. You see, Paul had a depth of love, and care for these saints that, only, that I only wish, that, wish I had. Listen to his words in chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Church, here we see into the very heart of Paul and what he desired for all the believers that he loved so much. What did he want? What was his desire? Firstly, encouragement and exhortation. That their hearts might be encouraged. How? I be knit together in love. Look, like a, more, a more modern version has it like this. I want them to be strengthened and joined together with love Church, Paul's desire was that the hearts of every believer in those fellowships would be encouraged, would be built up, would be strengthened and comforted. This is where the comfort comes in. Paul wanted every believer to experience continual joy, continual pleasure, continual happiness in God. This word here that we have as comfort, encouraged and strengthened, literally means to exhort or to confirm. You know, Paul did not just want their hearts strengthened and encouraged, he wanted the believers to be knit together in love. Yeah. To be, okay. Just do a little bit of Greek. Sum Okay? Sum bibadzo. Say it with me. Sum bibadzo. Say it again. Sum I don't know why I'm trying to make it sound Italian. Because <laughs> it's not Italian. It's Greek. Okay? It's not sumbibadzo. It's sumbibadzo. Say it with me one more time. Sumbibadzo. Okay? And it's from the root to drive together, okay, and unite in association or affection. To cause, to coalesce, to join together, to put together, to unite or knit together. And there's the key word at the end, in affection. In affection. Church, we need to be sumbabazo in love. Don't we? Knit together in love. Paul is speaking here of a firm union. A firm and solid union. Church, this is about unity. It's about being one. It's about being unified. It's about being connected by cords of love. Cords of love. Knit together in the bonds of love and of peace. Church, We are to be an association of love, driven together by the affection of love, the affection of love. Paul desired it for the Colossians, and I know that God desires it for us. You know, in the Bible, especially the New Testament, believers are commanded over and over and over to love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, honor one another, prefer one another. We we all know the verses. Look, it's nothing you haven't heard before. But are we doing it? Are we living it? Is it a reality in Glenmacken? Is this church, this fellowship, an association of love? Is this a love club? Is this a love club? Is this where someone comes and feels love? Are you here feeling, do you feel the love? Can you feel the love tonight? Can you feel the love? If it's not a love club, it's meant to be. And it should be. And Paul wanted the churches both in Colossa and Laodicea to be love clubs. And I know he'd want the same here at Glenmacken. A union of unity and an association of affection. Church, let's be a love club. Okay? Let this place be a place of unity, of love, and of purpose. Let's be a people who show unconditional love to one another, a place of comfort, strength, support, encouragement, and community. You know what community is? It's a commune of unity, a commune of unity, woven and knit together in the strong cords and bonds of love. Paul desired it for Colossa, he desired it for Laodicea, and God desires it for us. So firstly, Paul wanted the believers to be encouraged and built up their hearts knit together in love. And secondly, confidence and comprehension that they would attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Look, I know that was a lot of words to take in. So let's try to see what Paul is saying. Maybe this will help. Here's the same phrase in the New Living Translation. In whom, or sorry, no back. Oh, maybe I forgot. Okay. Is that the next one, Cameron? I missed one, sorry. So here, here's the same verse in the New Living. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Church confidence and comprehension. Paul's desire is that every believer in Colossae, in Laodicea, and those who had never seen him would attain to all riches of the assurance of understanding. That is to have complete confidence in their understanding of what church? Of what? Of the mystery of God. God's providential and perfect plan, Jesus Christ. That's the mystery of God in Colossians. Jesus, the plan was Jesus himself. This hidden mystery, as we already know, was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. We've already studied Paul's words concerning this mystery. And here we see him carry on the same theme. The mystery of God, the hidden truth now revealed, God pulling back the curtain, the full revelation of the gospel, the good news of salvation to all nations, which is found only in Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul wanted every believer then to have full certainty of the truth of the gospel and of faith and of salvation. And I believe he would want the same for all of us. Understand this. There were some in these fellowships who possibly lacked this full assurance. Many were unconvinced that Jesus was all that was needed for hope and for salvation. Many might have even questioned God's love and if God was really good. You see, the false teachers had caused many to ask questions and to doubt what they had heard. But here, church, Paul is setting it straight. He's setting them straight. Great confidence and freedom comes from full assurance in Christ. And this is what Paul was trying to get into the hearts and into the minds of those in the churches. No wonder he was agonizing and struggling within himself. Church, he loved these this people, he loved these saints and he did not want to see them fall away. Church, this this portion is about entire and complete possession. Possession, that is why Paul speaks of all riches. This is about a full certainty and assurance Amen. of the plan and purposes of God, which are Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. I've said it before in these studies. He was the master plan. Amen. He was the master plan, and He is the great purpose of it all. Right from the start, Amen. God's purpose and plan have all been about Him. Amen. Jesus Christ, is the very center of everything. He's the center of it all. He's the focus of it all. He's the center point of it all, and it's all about Him. Look, He's the one in whom all things consist and hold together. He's the supreme and superior sustainer, and the one who is sovereign over all. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. The first in rank, the number one, numero uno, above all, overall, The one who created all things in heaven and in earth, and he's the head of the church, his body, and we are a part of that. And Paul simply wanted the Colossian believers to have full assurance and confidence that they understood God's mysterious, marvelous, and miraculous master plan. And the plan is Jesus Christ himself. If you know Jesus, you know the plan. You know the plan. It's been revealed to you. And then Paul writes these words concerning Jesus Christ. In whom are hidden All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Incredible. God's glorious scheme and plan, which is Christ in God, this is all the treasure that we will ever need. We don't need any other treasure, church. That's all we need. Treasures of abundance, treasures of excellency, with wisdom and knowledge contained within them. You see, church, the gospel plan This plan of reconciliation, this plan of salvation, it exceeds every other plan that's ever been devised or will ever be devised. It is a plan filled with riches and treasures that man would never know or have without God revealing it in Jesus Christ. A plan devised by God Almighty himself. And I'm glad that we get to be a part of it. Church, Cameron. We have seen the conflict that Paul suffered for the saints. He loved them. He cherished them. He was anxious for them. He was anxious that they would know the truth concerning all that he had taught them about Jesus Christ. We have seen those things which bring comfort, unity, love, compassion, and care for one another. Encouragement, support, exhortation. You know, church, having that close-knit family of God, knit together in the bond and cords of love, it can bring comfort in our most painful and fearful times. I know many of you have felt the comfort of the family of God here in difficult times. And lastly, the comprehension. We need, just like those in Colossae, to fully grasp and comprehend the truth of the mystery of God, Jesus Christ, the one in whom All the fullness of divinity dwells the God-man, the one who became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. The glorious truth of God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Church, I want you to leave tonight with the assurance and certainty of what God has done in Christ. Leave knowing tonight that you're loved firstly by him. You're loved by him with the greatest of all loves but also here in this place your love too okay in this family of God this is a place where we want you to find comfort and peace and support and love and protection in the presence of God and of your brothers and sisters and church pray for those who have conflict for you who are over you who are called to protect you for the elders okay pray for them Because we really do need it at this time. Conflict, comfort, and comprehension. Look, I really do pray that you've been blessed by the word tonight. And that you're going out built up in your faith. That you go away, church, sure of the love that God has for you. Certain of your salvation. With the assurance of that future hope that he has promised to every single one of us. Can I do what I always like to do? And just read the three verses for you one last time. I love this translation of the passage that we studied tonight. And just take this with you as you leave uh, church this evening. So Paul writes, This battle I am facing is huge, and I want you to know I do it for you, for all those at Laodicea, and for everyone else, even those who have never seen my face. I'm working hard to comfort and encourage them so that they will be knit together, that many hearts would become one, through his love. I do it so they will be rich in understanding and have full knowledge of God's mystery, which is the anointed one himself. In him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are concealed. And church, that see that line, that top line? That's my prayer for us. That our hearts would become one amen. through his Hallelujah. love. Can you say amen? amen. Let's stand again.